1: We have a fun, special guest on. Someone who I've probably talked to about the Pacers for more time in my life. Five years now, probably, uh, talking about the Pacers. Talking about a weird Pacers weekend, splitting with uh, two not-so-great teams. The Mavs are pretty good. Uh, And the Pacers' awful, awful defense of late. And then we're going to talk about something that happened Saturday, where Isaiah Jackson did not play, and Terry Taylor did play. Rotation, what Rick Carlisle's up to, and joining me to do that, you might have read him at eight point nine seconds. You might have read him at the fieldhouse. You might have heard him on the show a few times before, Mr. William per- Will How's it going, man? Good. How you doing, Tony? I am good. Uh, I am good. I am ready for the trade deadline to be done, so I stop having to consider that as a topic every single day. For those of you looking for trade talk, Wednesday is the next time I'll be doing that with some creative things the Pacers can do at the trade deadline. But today. We're talking about the Pacers defense. They gave up a franchise record 158 points on last Wednesday. Everybody knows about that. That Hornets game was embarrassing. They just gave up 132 to the Dallas Mavericks over the weekend as well. And another pathetic defensive performance. Luka Doncic had a full court basket with no resistance. He dribbled 75 feet. No one stepped in front of him the entire time. We'll talk more about that game and the Thunder game in the second segment, but what really alarmed me and what made me want to jump on the talking about the Pacers defense in the opening segment was I looked up the Pacers defensive rating in the month of January. And it is last. It is tied with the Houston Rockets at 118.3 point, points for 100 possessions at last in the NBA. Will, what
0: is going on with this Pacers defense right now? Well, um, you know, we've, we've been missing one key player for a little <laughs> yes. bit. That that is true. Talked about um, that
1: last Wednesday. Uh, they needed him against Charlotte so bad. But I, I mean, I don't want to pin everything on that. They've been better than worse without him before.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the lineup's been in flux, but it doesn't. the The effort level. I know that that's always an easy thing to blame it on, but it's really hard to give up 158 points as a professional team. I imagine. <laughs> It, it certainly is. Uh, there's a reason it hasn't happened since the the 80s. Um, but that
1: it's just been stunning. Like, and most of the season, what what's been jarring to me is, like, that they, they this similar team was. I mean, Bjork Ball was weird, but they at least sometimes kept guys in front and like had some competent defensive stretches last year. They have whole games this season where they can't keep anyone in front of them. And like, I'm I'm receptive to that. Luca's gonna kill you every so often. But then it's like. Wait, Dorian Finney-Smith just had an unencumbered drive to the basket? Or like, oh my gosh, like every <laughs> possession, someone is wide open, and I, they're wide open because there was a breakdown on the perimeter. Someone drove, and the kick is right there. The Thunder got a bunch of open threes, and their offense is the worst in the league, and like they drive all the time, sure, but they should not be getting as little resistance as they have. I just have been so befuddled by, and, and I get that you're right, there's been a lot of lineup flux, and Turner's been out, but even a lot of these guys, maybe that's a stretch, a couple of these guys were on the sixth-rated defense two years ago, and they just look like a totally different team right now.
0: Yeah, I see the Pacers running out four guys that are 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, with Sabonis, and I'm like, this should be a good defensive lineup. You know, you've got Levert, Duarte, Torrey Craig, and Justin Holiday out there. That should be competent at worst. Yeah, they can switch a lot, right, in theory. That's
1: what you'd think. I mean, yeah. you know, like-sized guys can switch. That's where McMillan lacked. McMillan never switched. And the other thing with Turner, this is just raw numbers, this is never like the end-all, be-all. These are the games, the point totals the Pacers have given up in games since Turner's injury. So he played against the Suns on January 14th, and then they played the Clippers on the next Monday. 139, 104, 117, 113, 117, 158, 110, 132. Yikes! Uh, that's oh. going to be a yikes for me. So I want to bring up a couple personnel things, that I want you to, to tell me how much you think this is actually contributing To the Pacers' defensive demise. Since December 1st, that is an important date. That is when T.J. McConnell got hurt. So since T.J. McConnell's injury, Pacers' defense ranks 29th at 116.6 in the NBA. Behind the Kings, behind the Blazers, barely ahead of – well, significantly ahead of the Rockets, who have the worst defense by a mile. Since December 16th, that is the day Malcolm Brogdon started to miss games. He's played four games in the interim since this day, but still – Pacers also 29th in the league in defensive rating since then 117.3, so even worse than the span without McConnell. So they were playing at least somewhat better defense before Brogdon got hurt 117.3. We already talked about how they're last this month, and some of that's with Turner out. How much do you think though? You know, without McConnell and Brogdon, who are at least not great but decent point of attack defenders, is that a big contributor to you as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When you replace, you know, TJ McConnell, who I think is a great point of point-of-attack defender, and Brogdon, who's maybe a little slow, but he's long and very, very smart. And you start replacing them with Kiefer Sykes and Dwayne Washington Jr. And uh, when he feels like it. There's a hole hole at the point guard position, and point guards are doing whatever they want. Duarte missed a a stretch in there
1: too. I wish I looked up his because he's actually been pretty – Nosy on the ball at times this year, but they didn't do like horrible when he was out. But in general, I've just I've been befuddled at how just no resistance they provide to anyone. And it, it and it, yes, I agree that they're missing their two point of attack guys and things like that, But like Lance is nosy on the ball and Keeper Sykes his size limitations, but at least he like gives effort on the defensive end of the floor. Levert's a big problem here, but like Duarte is an okay defender. Like they have, in theory, plus the switchability of their wings. In theory, the personnel to me screams like, yeah, this should be not good, but not 29th either. So even with these guys out, I look at these numbers and I just how how are they gonna win if they can't, if they can't contain anyone on the perimeter? They're not scoring that well recently. You know, Sabonis is the only reason they were able to scrape by a tank-tastic Oklahoma City team on Friday. I mean, right, they They have got to clean up their defense if they want to win some games.
0: That T.J. McConnell date was interesting. Do you know the last time the Pacers held held an opponent to below 100 points? I do not. What is it? It has been two and a half months. Wow. It was November 17th and November 15th, and they lost both of those games. (laughs) They lost to the the Pistons. They lost to the Pistons.
1: Ironically, they, they just cannot put it all together. Yeah, they, that is jarring. That is unbelievable. I mean, they, they can't stop anybody right now. It's crazy. One, the, they were close against Boston. That one went to OT and went to 101. But in general, yeah, they can't. Wow. They cannot defend anybody. Even bad offensive teams are just putting up. Not, Detroit putting up 113 in December. That was the day after the Brogdon injury. That one stands out as a big a big scoring outburst to me. They just, some crappy teams just hang numbers on them. It's really,
0: it's really pathetic. Yeah. You know, I expected a baseline level of competence with Rick Carlisle, um, expected the defense to come in and be a, a professional defense, even with maybe some undermanned personnel. And we have seen the, like, as you said, the worst defense in the NBA in 2022.
1: So I have a few, a few culprits I'd like to point out. And you already mentioned one, uh, Karis Levert, like, he he said after a game a couple weeks ago, like, yeah, I had some terrible closeouts in this game. And one game, they played the Wizards. He was guarding Bradley Beal, and he defended pretty well. And he was like, yeah, I was excited to defend Beal and slow him down. So he's pretty cognizant of the effort he puts in on defense in the matchup he has, which is fascinating to me because he is – an, an awful point of attack defender. I just, just completely <laughs> miserable this season. There are some games where he, he de- he's just a body on the floor. He's not stopping anybody. His rotations are really slow. Uh, Tory Craig he can defend on the ball pretty well. There's a reason they continue to start him despite his poor offense. That's because he's th- strong and bulky, but his team defense has been pretty weak this year. Justin Holiday's taking a step back for sure. Jeremy Lamb's in their rotation every day. So even if, and Carlisle, like, all preseason, they worked on defense for their first, like, four practices. You know, and, and with Turner, they're at least a capable defensive team, and they have all these guys. But it's, like, laughable to think that they worked on defense as much because their personnel just is – especially, like, Dwayne Washington's in the rotation. You know, he's a rookie, so I don't expect him to be good at defense. But nothing's there for him. I mean, they – just the guys you even expect to be good at defense, beyond the guys who stink, like Lamb and Levert, haven't been that good either. So personnel, I think, is, is all of it. The schematically – even if it's a little more simple this year and it, some of the stuff they do strategically makes sense. Like, there's there's very rarely, like, I'm like, why are they in zone right now? Like, with last year, like, why did they switch that? That was so dumb. It's just that they just have crappy defenders who get beat all the time. That's what I think it is, but
0: that seems like a lazy way to, to pin it down. No, I think you're exactly right. Um, Levert can be a good defender. Uh, you know how much I love Karis Levert. He can be a great defender when he's locked in, but he seems to really ebb and flow. And, you know, like you said, Holiday hasn't been as good this year. Tory Craig is great on ball, like you said, but he gets caught sleeping. He gets back cut. He seems to be out of position a lot. And then defense has never been Damanis Sabonis' number one priority or number one strength. He, he fights hard, and he is bulky and strong, but he doesn't defend the rim. With
1: Sabonis, too, the thing I'll say is, like, I, I've always said on the show I think he's good at defending centers, and this is where you can get a little on the Pacers coaching staff and their and their tactics is sometimes they switch with Sabonis, and with Turner they can get away with it, but Sabonis is not good enough at recovering or defending out in space for that to make sense. So that is somewhere where you don't necessarily want to switch with him as much. They don't do it too much, but they do it enough that I, it's it's maybe something they should tone down a little bit, especially as you know, he's playing 43 minutes against an overtime win against OKC when you're 18 and 33, you know maybe try to tone down how much much strain you're putting on your your former two time All Star, especially in a in a pivotal little 10 uh, day stretch coming up with trades on the horizon. I don't I don't know who's going to be included for the team, but you'd like to be able to display everyone who is potentially on the block. This team just has to defend better, right? Like I, I, this is not there's not one player on the team that I've been like, yeah, they have met the expectation that I think this team set for them defensively, and I, it's it's too late for them for me to say like they need to defend better to save their season like they're they're closer to detroit in 14 right now than the play-in right like there is no saving the season it's done right but they do need to at least improve and establish some sort of baseline for next year's pacers team to say okay this is how we're going to defend when we're actually a good team that's what i think
0: yeah they are obviously paying rick carlisle a lot of money um they need him to figure this out and like you said it's not all on the coaching staff but he's got a with what he's got and right now they're they're just god awful i don't know if the answer is more zone i don't know if the answer is just malcolm brogdon coming back uh who knows if we're even going to see him again this season yeah him returning would be nice i mean i i think he gets kind of underrated
1: as a defender on this team i think the on-offs treat him pretty well same with turner so if they trade turner i think we're going to see uh a pretty miserable Pacers defense the rest of the season they'll have that will kind of force the coaching staff to get creative which may, maybe will be a good thing in the long term
0: yeah um maybe playing some of the other talented shot blocking centers would be awesome too we'll <laughs> we'll see if the coaching staff comes around to that they have a little bit lately
1: we uh we, we will definitely talk about that at the, at the end of the show because that Thunder game no Isaiah Jackson that game that that was the mo- one of the more bizarre Pacers rotation decisions I've seen all season. Let's take a little break and talk about this weekend of games because the Pacers did in fact win. It wasn't all doom and gloom for them this weekend. Uh, they they went to overtime with a team intentionally trying to lose and Shea Gilgis alexander got hurt in that game. But besides those facts, they did in fact win that basketball game. But before we do that, let's talk about the good folks over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. And if you are like me in this new year, you're working on getting fit built bar into your plan they're 100% covered in chocolate protein bars but they're really healthy and they taste like a candy bar 130 calories four grams of sugar four net carbs with 17 grams of protein you compare that to a candy bar which has 240 calories 30 grams of sugar dozens of net carbs you're getting a lot more out of your Built bar but they are just as tasty I can attest to it I love the peanut butter brownie one they have these puffs ones with some marshmallow base in them that are really good You got to try them. You can use them as a snack, use them as a meal supplement at work, like I do, whatever. You got to try them. Go to built.com, use the promo code locked15. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code again, locked15, for 15% off at built.com. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day. For your second listen, Locked On Clippers might be the way to go. That's who the Pacers play tonight. Maybe Locked On Mavs, who broke down Rick Carlisle's return to Dallas this weekend. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm going to ask you a very loaded question, Will. Do you get any butterflies and warm and fuzzies from the Pacers beating the Oklahoma City Thunder in overtime after the Thunder missed a point-blank layup to win the game with 20 seconds left?
0: I did not, despite the fact <laughs> that it feels like the Pacers' first win in a month. <laughs> it, it,
1: it didn't feel like a win. I'm not going to lie. They they sucked. I mean, they they did not play well in that game. They kind of shot the ball well from two-point range, but... 19 turnovers, 20 fouls against OKC. They needed overtime to beat the Thunder. It took a miracle, a couple shots to tie it up into overtime. The Thunder had two completely wide open layups to take the lead late. Somehow they both roll off, and Justin Holiday clinches it at the free throw line. And they hit a three that tied the game technically, but the Pacers fouled up three. It was a mess. It was the worst win i think i've ever seen carousel vert was three for 19 he was terrible duarte was two for nine he really struggled tory craig really struggled he was a minus 18 in an overtime win i mean it's weird how much they needed sabonis to return this weekend to even be kind of capable and against the thunder team that sucks at defending the post that wasn't surprising but you know I, it's kind of jarring that we're at this point in the season and it's still just the, the Pacers' biggest key to winning in so many games is just, if Sabonis is awesome, they might win. If they play through him, they might win. And if they don't, especially with the guys they have out, they, they have very little chance.
0: Yeah, beating uh, overtime to barely beat a team whose front line was Beasley uh, and Mike Muscala, it's not a great sign for the, the prospects of your team. Needing to play Sabonis 43 minutes against that year, not, not exciting.
1: Uh, no, no, it is not. So so let's give Sabonis some credit, to his credit. They played him 43 minutes, and he did very well. 24-18-10. and 10. I think that was his fifth triple-double of the season, maybe sixth. He's quite a lot. It was his first game back from injury. If you recall, he returned from injury against OKC last year when they scored like 150-whatever on the Thunder in OKC. So that's just the key to the Pacers looking like a capable basketball team is just bring Sabonis back from injuries against the Thunder every time they play him. So he was really good. And Justin Holiday hit four threes and had 22 points. He was he met the expectation of his role, which for him has been few and far between this season. And Jeremy Lamb surprisingly had a capable 14 point game, and that that's kind of it. O'Shea Brissett played some nice defense. That's all you need to beat the Thunder is three and a half capable rotation players. I have no confidence that that win means anything for the Pacers. In fact, given where the loss column stands for the Tankathon rankings that might not have been the greatest win for the Pacers so they will be happy to get the win as a team they were stoked to you know, they came back from down 18 like if this was like the 30th game of the season and they were whatever they were right then 13 and 17, they'd be doing backflips that they got this win it was a sick comeback they they got a superstar performance from their best player but I, it, it was not an inspiring win which led into Rick Carlisle's return to Dallas. Rick Carlisle, very emotional on the sidelines, tears streaming down his face. They were on a back-to-back, on the road, traveling between. Like, I don't expect them to win any games anyway, but they looked, I mean, they looked awful against the As the defense was so bad. Sabonis, again, had 21-15-8 and eight, and was minus 18. Like, the starting five was completely atrocious. Justin Holliday reverted to the inconsistent guy. He was one of seven. Torrey Craig missed every shot he took. Lavert was four for ten again. I mean, it nothing was inspiring about the Pacers this weekend, and as, as we head into the trade deadline, games like this, kind of to me, you know, their, their position was already cemented. But they if they can barely beat the Thunder and they can't hang it all with the fifth seed in the West, I mean, their 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 direction had already been determined. But I think this weekend kind of cemented it for me. I don't know about you, Will.
0: Yeah, uh, when Dwayne Washington is your your leading scorer, <laughs> you're probably not winning that game. <laughs> Not to say anything bad. He's actually looked really awesome lately. I'm excited about him. Was not rooting for Dwayne Washington Jr. to be an exciting prospect, But here we are. But if they, even in the second night of a back-to-back, you know, they're giving up 132 points. That's unacceptable.
1: No one played good defense. I mean, we just talked about this, so I don't want to rehash the entire discussion, but like, so many just unencumbered drives, like 23 points for Reggie Bullock, easily his season high. He was wide open all the time from three, he hit six threes, and they kept talking about it on the Mavs broadcast. They're like, look how great the Mavs offense, like they're setting up all these open threes for Reggie Bullock. Finally, he's this guy they wanted and he signed. And, you know, I I get why the Mavs would be psyched that their big signing from the summer is having this awesome game and like that's great. Uh, You know, There was just no resistance from the Pacers. Luca had the easiest 12 assists of his life. Eight assists for Jalen Brunson. same deal. He just dribbled twice in the lane, and three people were all of a sudden open. Marquise Chris had three assists. All he had to do was turn around when he caught the ball in the post. I mean, it, they they played no defense at all. Terry Taylor played an entire quarter of the game. Dwayne was the only bright, one of the only bright spots, and O'Shea Brissett was a, a bright spot this weekend. I have a full segment dedicated to O'Shea Brissett coming tomorrow. I mean, yeah, you're right, though. Any game Dwayne Washington is your leading scorer. And by the way, Look, I'm all about balance for this Pacers team. I've talked about that being one of their key strengths on offense. Dwayne Washington shot six times more than anybody else. So, yeah, he's your leading scorer. You're also spoon-feeding him looks. It was just like a perfect summary of this team this weekend that they barely beat the Thunder in overtime, and then they come out against the Mavs, and they have to have Dwayne Washington shoot 17 times to have a competent offense and have Sabonis have 21, 15, and 8 to be minus 18 with the starting five. they, They just look completely helpless. And They beat the Mavs earlier this season. Like it kind of speaks to how much of a free fall there has been since early December. That a team they beat handily earlier this year, they can't even kind of compete with.
0: They—they look like they have any kind of game plan, uh, any focus. They look like they're coming out, and you know they're all playing basketball, sort of. That's (laughs) about all they have going for them. (laughs)
1: It's it's almost like they all got bad news before the game started. <laughs> it's kind of what it felt like they played. And on these emotional games, I get that it can be hard and and things like that. Like I'm I'm not going to kill them for getting smoked by the Mavs on a back to back on the road. You know, they, they they played poorly, but it is what it is. But the the whole weekend in general was strange. And you know who was okay against the the Mavs that we should talk about now? Uh, that is none other than rookie Isaiah Jackson. And they played Terry Taylor for a full quarter against the Mavs as well. He fits into this equation as well. But against the Mavs, Jackson was 5 for 8. He had 6 rebounds. He had 3 blocks. He had a steal. He had 12 points. And the night before against the Thunder, he certainly had a great stat line. Oh, wait. He didn't play. He did not play against OKC. Befuddling decision. That's the last thing I want to talk about here. And this is kind of a segment I've done a lot on the show. But it needs to be rehashed for a Pacers team that is currently 18 and 33. So let's pivot really quick and talk about Isaiah Jackson's minutes.
0: Yeah, um, Isaiah Jackson should not get another DMP CD this year. You're on it. <laughs> I don't care who's healthy. He needs to play.
1: Yeah, he has been incredibly promising when he does play. And then they play the Thunder on Friday. And it's it's some of it's that he didn't play, right? Like he should be playing every game. I agree with you. We'll get serious in that in a second. But here are other things that happened in a game he did not play. Goga, the backup big that game, played two minutes two minutes, and then got hurt with a sore foot, right? So now there's a hole again at backup center. And Isaiah filled it against Dallas. They realized how dumb it was he didn't play. Terry Taylor, a two-way guy. And by the way, Terry Taylor's kind of good. That's a stretch. Terry Taylor is like a good two-way contract level player. Like he's been in the rotation for three games now and has gotten multiple offensive rebounds in all of them and, and can just grab any miss off the rim and is finishing every shot he takes. He's shooting like 70%. Like he's fine to play. I'm okay with experimenting with young guys at this point in the season, but not instead of Isaiah Jackson. There is no way in a game that Goga gets hurt against OKC when you're 18 and 31 at the time, or 17 and 31 at the time, that you're not playing Isaiah Jackson at all. That made no sense. I asked about it after the game, and it was kind of like a matchup thing. You know, the the Thunder are a smaller team. You talked about their tinier front court earlier, and like, I guess I get it. But don't you want him to play against uncomfortable lineups too? Like, in that part of his growth, I. Isaiah should I think like you said be playing every single game. I mean you're 18 to 31. He looks good and promising. There's what what is the pro of him not playing at this point? There isn't one, right? There are none. I mean t- Terry Taylor playing is cool and, and good, but you know, if Goga's not playing there is there is none. I mean there is not a single benefit they have gotten from from this game by not playing. If they played O'Shea set at center a little bit. I suppose they can squint and go, yeah, we learned a little bit from that. And again, Sabonis had a wonderful game, but they're past the point with Sabonis too, unless they deal Sabonis, but they're kind of past the point of like featuring him as a, as a sale point as like, if this is a thing they can do to, to say, yeah, great. We, you know, we boosted his value and got a big trade. Like I don't, Turner's been out. It seems kind of obvious what the, the thinking is there. If they deal Sabonis, maybe we'll look back at this game a little differently, but either way, Isaiah should be playing every game. Like the one stat that a lot of college scout level people kind of talk about is like a key indicator of a good defender. They call it stocks. They call it steals plus blocks, right? And so in the games, Isaiah has been in the rotation four, which I guess starts against the Lakers, but really starts the game after the Lakers. But still. Uh, one one stock against the Lakers, three against Golden State, two against Phoenix, two against New Orleans, two against Charlotte, and then four against Dallas. And they only played over 20 minutes in one of those games. Like his defensive impact is just is so impressive that you have to play him every you have to play him every game. Like he especially for a crappy defensive team, they just need to find a way to get him on the court and get him in. It's, even if it means playing him with another center, even if it means playing him with a guy like Terry Taylor, who he might not fit with well, they, there is just absolutely no reason to not get him a couple minutes every single game.
0: Can I throw a, a comp out there for you?
1: Sure, I love comps.
0: Uh, not the same play style, but he reminds me a ton of, quickly, uh, just the type of energy and force and passion he brings in the way he's all over the place. Uh, I saw this earlier this year out in New York and quickly really killed the Pacers and I kept thinking they need something like that Isaiah Jackson to me looks like that jolt of energy and that kind of springiness that the Pacers roster is missing
1: I love Emmanuel quickly so I, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm all about that comp in general they would be fun together if uh, that that the trade partners that could be the, the New York Knicks and the Indiana Pacers link up this season yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and guys who like they just they when they move faster than other players, it's easier for them to stand out in that comp kind of way too. It's like oh, if they could just find a way to keep that very coordinated and together, they would be clearly good. And Isaiah has at times looked like Like he just turned twenty on the tenth of this month, right? Like the, the the way he's able to run and contort his body and play good defense and finish these lobs, right? And and that's something Rick Carlisle talked about after the Mavs game. Like we've got to find a way to to throw better lobs. You know that's something the Pacers don't have, and they haven't had since. Uh, uh never uh, a long time since they've had a guy who plays kind of like that like Gerald Green could jump like that but didn't have like the the running style and the energy providing game game impact and Fred Jones could kind of jump like that but definitely did not have the energy game impact like they've they, they this is this is new territory for the Pacers to have a guy like this and I you know this is new coaches since they've had Fred Jones and Gerald Green but they, I think they've got to find ways to get him out there and use him, and try to find ways to get guys to fit with them. Not only because his skill set's unique, but because he's for sure a future of the Pacers team.
0: Yeah, he's the first vertical spacer the Pacers have had in. I can't remember like a pick and roll vertical spacer that they've ever had like him. Um, Sabonis and Turner both a little more ground bound, and vertical spacing is a big deal. And you know, three point spacing is a different thing, but. Isaiah
1: Jackson can really help the offense just by being a threat if we have someone who can throw those passes. Well, well, and the thing about vertical spacing is like think about the games that Miles Turner has felt like the worst defender. It's always against those vertical spacers, right? Like when there's a when when the Lakers have Dwight out there just able to jump up really high and dunk, all of a sudden the guy who's driving at miles, all of a sudden he's in no man's land because there's a pass behind him that isn't there against guys who can't jump like that. And so there's games against the Lakers where Miles looks terrible because his pick-and-roll defense just gets neutered by a couple of lobs and, you know, Embiid always kills him for different reasons. But in general, the guys that destroy Miles in ways that are unconventional are those lob threats. Like, Isaiah gives them that. You can break down really good rim protectors with him at center because he can do that if you figure out how to throw the lob, how to time all that stuff. And Isaiah's got to become a better screener. That's part of the equation as well. He's a pretty bad screener right now. but it's certainly a weapon they've never had. His defense is is fantastic. And and I want to close, well, I don't want to close this with this, but I want to also give props to Terry Taylor. Well, because that dude, that dude can rebound a ball. And I don't think he should like, th- this should be like, he should be playing over Terry Taylor who played in both games this weekend. Cause Terry can kind of play his Madden stats are like hilarious. They look fake. Like he's they finding a role for him, especially when you're 18 and 33 now is fine. Like if you if you can find him five minutes a game as a rookie, that's fine. But he, at the expense of Isaiah Jackson, it's silly. And so I'm pro Terry Taylor. I think there will be a, a point in the season where he's worth a segment talking about his skills and, and how they can fit him in. Post-trade deadline, especially when their roster is a little more clear. But, I mean, Isaiah's got to be playing over him. I think you got to consider – like like every wing guy – I get why they're playing Tory Craig and Justin Holiday every game. And whichever – if they stay on the team past the deadline, they'll keep playing. But – They're honestly at the point where playing Isaiah at the four over those guys is appealing to me from a team building perspective. Like that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Yeah, you got to see what you have. Um, They, you know, they traded Aaron Holiday. They spent a first round pick. There's no reason to let him ride the bench behind a two way guy, even if Terry Taylor's been a fun story.
1: (laughs) Hey, I love my stories. (laughs) Don't ruin my stories. Yeah, and. There's something else that I didn't even realize. I was looking at my notes for this segment before the season. I was talking to KP. This was like uh, at the press conference where they announced, where they we met. You know, Chris and, and Isaiah, and KP was like, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of talk about like, oh, we draft another center, blah, blah blah, but like, I think Isaiah could play the four. And I also, when I watched him at Kentucky, like he can defend the perimeter well enough. Like, it's not going to be his primary position, but like, yeah, he can play the four. I agree. He's that rangy enough of a defender. Not yet, but he will be. I think it's pretty clear he will be to do that. Great. So now you can play the four. you've established that you view him in that way? Okay, do it. Play him at the four, right? Like, do, do what you said this guy's appeal is instead of just sitting him on the bench while you play veterans at this four spot. And O'Shea Brissett's one of the guys that are playing at the four, and playing O'Shea is fine. O'Shea is young and good and potentially part of the Pacers' future. But there are other guys, vets, Terry Taylor, that played this weekend that I'm like, no, no, no. Give those minutes to Isaiah Jackson. See what you have. He looks special. His ceiling looks like it could be something. They've got to play him every game. I think we're on the same page, but that is my fin thesis of Isaiah Jackson, unless you have more you'd like to add to this discussion.
0: No, I think that's
1: perfect. Get him out there, get all play the rookies, and then you know, I'll do a shot at the trade deadline of the Pacers' goals the rest of the season. But that I mean that could be part of the whole show is hey, if you're younger than 26, uh you're gonna you're gonna play every game. Like that that seems like an obvious area of growth for the Pacers the rest of the season. Everybody, thank you so much for listening today. Will, where can people follow you and all your NBA musings and opinions?
0: Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at will for NBA, uh, F-U-R-R. I am on there sometimes. I take breaks because you've seen this Pacers team. <laughs> the break is needed.
1: <laughs> I'm jealous of breaks sometimes. Back-to-back uh, back on the weekend after I worked a very long week, I was like, oh, man, I would love to have one night of freedom this week. But I still enjoyed it. It was fun. Tomorrow, of course, talking Clippers. Talking whatever else happens interesting in that game and talking about O'Shea Brissett, like I said earlier, because I continue to think he's a little bit of an overlooked part of the Pacers rebuilding plans. And, you know, I appreciate you guys making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. I just want to point out that next Thursday is the trade deadline, which one, I'll have segments coming up on that. But two, Lockdown Network, we're going to do a live Lockdown NBA podcast where hosts from teams making trades can pop in and talk about what's going on. Uh, So you got to hop in there. It'll be super fun. And I almost certainly will have to jump in and talk about some pacers trades that are made on deadline day so you'll want to stay tuned for that thank you all for listening hope everybody had a great weekend and we'll be back tomorrow